This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of the recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guests to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Uh, The AA AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any clauses. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places – prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. 
Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name's Ross. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Ross. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Uh, would you like to tell us how long you've been sober? Uh, I've been sober now for 13 years. Excellent. And um, tell us a little bit more about yourself, family life. Uh, me, I'm uh, I'm in my early 60s. I'm married. Um, I, <coughs> I've turned my phone off to silent, but I'm hoping to uh, get a message any minute to say I'm going to have my third grandchild. Oh, that's amazing. Brilliant. And um, Ross, let's talk a bit about your drinking and and how did it start? Well, I I grew up um, in a in a in a dry family. My parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, none of them drank. I, mm. There was never any alcohol in the house. Never at any family things. Um, when I was sixteen, I went to a friend's party um, and had my first drink there. Um, and my second, and my third, and my fourth. And and what uh, did that first, second, third, and fourth drink do for you? Um, uh, it got me inordinately drunk. It <laughs> 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 had to be cleaned up before I sent home to my my non drinking family. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I think the gist of your question is, did it make me feel better and that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. I, I I was a very well adjusted kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I know in the rooms a lot of people talk about alcohol made them feel as though they could talk to mm, girls or dance mm. or that sort of thing. Um, I could do that already. Mm-hmm. Um, over time, alcohol took that that right, away rather right. than giving it to me at the start. Okay. So having to be cleaned up and um, <laughs> I guess what a lot of us experience after our first drunk – you know, how did it progress and what was your drinking like in your late teens, early adulthood? Um, well, I, I always drink, drank to excess. Mm-hmm. I, I guess having never had practised anything before I was 16 mm. um, and that being my first experience, that's just what I thought you did. Mm. And and I think that's that idea was helped by the fact that once you've had a certain amount – you're not really aware of what's going on around you. So mm. my kind of expectation was that other people were drinking just as much as I was. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I just kept drinking. When I drank, I, I drank to excess. Sure. And um, so were there any consequences, you know, sort of early on in that drinking, if you say, you, you, know, you know, from the moment you drank, you drank to excess, were there any consequences at that point of your life? Uh Unfortunately, not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, in in my twenties, I had a ball. Mm. Um, I I married very well, mm-hmm. and uh, to someone who's involved in the food and wine industry, <laughs> helpful. Uh, very helpful. Mm-hmm. So we we got to drink, and I got to drink to excess mm. of some really fabulous mm. wines and mm. things all around the world. It, mm. it, and it reinforced to me that that alcohol equaled a really good time. Mm. Um, and um, so so as you, you know, progressed into, um, you know, your 30s and later on in life, 
How did it change or did it change? Oh, it changed dramatically. Tell us about um, that. In my, in my 30s, um, you know, drinking became more and more important. Right. You, know, the, the, you talked about um, the twofold part of the disease. Well, I, I had the first part right from the start. Mm. I, when I had a drink, I couldn't stop. Mm. Um, but it, by my 30s, it was starting to be that all my thinking was around where I could get a drink. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm an accountant by trade. Mm-hmm. The idea of, cor- dry, you know, climbing up the corporate ladder mm. left me. It was more important mm. to be in the boardroom at four for a gin mm. than it was to really do- progress. progress. Yeah. And then in my 40s, I came in at 49. Um, uh, it it just consumed everything. Sure. Uh, we, we probably... Uh, at my behest, we, my wife and I set up a, a, a licensed cafe, mm-hmm. notice the word mm-hmm. licensed, mm-hmm. And, and I drank that to the, into the ground. Right. Um, okay, so so I, now we're starting to talk about consequences. Uh, yeah. And, and so, so obviously um, financial consequences. Talk to me about your relationships and did, what did it do to relationships with friends, family, loved ones? Um, I'm very lucky. My wife is still my wife. Mm. Um probably by the skin of my teeth. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, it, that that decline I talked about in my 30s, that, that meant I had to jettison friends as well. Sure. Um, you know, they couldn't... Feel dr- with the friends. Yeah, well, they couldn't drink like me. Okay. Um, and if you couldn't drink like me, and, and if, you, if you didn't drink at all, goodness <laughs> me, um, <laughs> I didn't want to know you. Mm. Um Yes, yeah, so it became. I became a very much a solo person. I, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, so tell us about what we often describe in the rooms as our rock bottom, um, and sometimes, by the grace of God, that will bring us into the rooms. Talk to us about that. Well, there are two parts to that. I've just said that I didn't like anyone who didn't drink, <laughs> but there was one guy. Right. Um, a friend of mine, we went to school together. We were best men for each other. Mm-hmm. He grew up in a similar situation with a non-drinking family. Uh, and in our in our teenage years, we taught each other to drink. And mm. we did it very, very well. Mm. He's seven years more sober than I am in AA. Wow. And despite the fact that he was sober, he remained a, a, a friend of mine. Right. Um and so my my rock bottom moment was my wife travels quite a bit mm-hmm. and for an alcoholic when the wife's traveling that's really great mm-hmm. there's no <laughs> there's no handbrake um and i woke up one morning in a hotel in auckland um not quite sure how i'd got there or mm. um i think any real alcoholics out there might understand about blackout mm. um and i i just i knew that I'd crossed some sort of line mm-hmm. and I couldn't do this anymore. So I was lucky. I knew about AA through mm. my best man um, and I I know that, you know, f- hotels have, I don't know whether they still have phone books, but they have phone books and <laughs> discovered AA, the 0800 AA works number and called that and uh, went to my first meeting that night. Wow. So prior to that, just you know, sort of back, just back in your forties, when you you know you, you felt like you're on, you know, that you said the treadmill. Did you at any point try to stop prior to this crossing the line? Uh, 
No. 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 I, I, um, there was a couple of times that my wife suggested we have alcohol-free days. Okay. Um, I, I can remember <laughs> though, that uh, one time, I think the second Wednesday uh, of being alcohol-free when I got home from work, she said I could have one large gin. <laughs> and, and so my alcohol-free days included one very large gin <laughs> just to get me through it. So I don't think I really tried. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's go back then to your first meeting. Tell us about what that was like and um, so your experience. And then, you know, how did the other members treat you? Um, uh, the the lead up to my first meeting that day was awful. Mm. Um, the the lovely person on the end of the O eight hundred number suggested a meeting quite close to where I was. Well, I found it myself staying, um, but that didn't start till eight o'clock that night. Mm. So I had I had a really awful day. Um, you know, shall I shan't I? Shall I shan't I? Um, I went to that meeting and. Um, it, it was it was really amazing. Um, I, a lot of people in AA will talk about what they heard and things. For me, it was saying out loud for the first time, my name is Ross and I'm an alcoholic. Wow. And the relief mm. of getting that out aloud um, was amazing. Right. I can't really remember much more about the meeting mm-hmm. um, except that the guys – welcomed me and they obviously told their stories and I must have identified. Mm. Um, uh, Yeah, it was just that relief of getting out loud, I'm Ross, I'm an alcoholic. Wow. And, um, you know, know, after your first meeting, um, you know, what did recovery begin, you know, how did recovery begin for you and what did that look like? Um. Well, I had to get get back to Christchurch, <laughs> mm. um, and I live a little way out of Christchurch, so um, uh, I I started going to meetings that were about twenty minutes, half an hour away. Um, my first week again, I was alone. My wife still wasn't home, um, so I went to a couple of meetings on on the first Saturday night after I got home. I I I thought I'd do the right thing and pour out the sort of half bottles of gin and whiskey in the cupboard. Um, I was taking the top off the gin and thought I'd better, you know, maybe I'm not really an alcoholic. Um, so I thought I'd just try that thing about, you know, that in AA say so you can't have the, fir- the first drink's the worst one because mm. that's going to lead to the next. And so I... I tried the experiment um, mm. and woke up the next morning with probably the worst hangover I have ever had. Um, the booze was gone, but none of it down the sink. Right. And and so that really cemented to me the little bit that I knew about the AA definition of alcoholic, it really cemented to me, yeah, I can't have that first drink because mm. mm. it's going to lead to the 15th and the 20th drink. Mm, so I, I started going to, to the local meetings um, I didn't uh, didn't particularly like it. Mm. Didn't particularly want to engage with people, mm-hmm. but I went mm-hmm. and I shared when I was asked to share. Um, it wasn't until maybe three months into it when um, an older guy asked me which meetings I was going to, mm-hmm. and I thought you could only go to the ones closest to you, where you lived. <laughs> <And it> was, <laughs> 
<laughs> they don't kind of explain. You can go to anyone. Mm. Uh, and he suggested I go to lots of meetings in Christchurch um, and sit, find the ones that I like, mm-hmm. find the ones I don't like. Mm, mm. Um, and out of that, I found what, what's called a home group, a, a group that I've decided that I will go to that meeting every week no matter what. Mm-hmm. Really like the guys there. They really encouraged me. And, yeah, it's... Found your place. Found my place. But I think I think the message is, you know, go to lots... If you're starting out, go to lots of meetings. Yeah. And AA is a funny place. Some, some you'll like, some you won't mm. like. Um, go yeah. to the ones you like. Absolutely. And, and so, Ross, during times of difficulty... You know, how have you managed to stay sober? Um, well, I, I've done what I've been suggested in this, mm-hmm. in the rooms. I got a sponsor. Right. Um, and that's somebody who will help you to do the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're written in a book, but um, actually it's quite a good thing to have somebody who's done them before you explain how to go through the process. Mm. Um and part of that process of going through the 12 steps is I had to learn that I didn't have to do life on my own. Mm. Um, so particularly in, in the early days with just with a sponsor who mm-hmm. I learned to trust, um, when things starting to go wrong, mm. um, I would call him, mm-hmm. which is part of the program, mm-hmm. talk to somebody else, and, and he would help me through what part of the steps would get me through whatever's going on. Right, right. And, um, uh, you know, we also talk, so sponsorship, we also talk about service. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for you and how, how, how has that been part of your journey? Uh, service for me is, um, it is doing more than just going to a meeting. Mm. Um, meetings are really great, and that's where we get to meet new guys mm-hmm. when they come in the in the rooms, um, and we 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 share what's going on in our lives and how we're putting the twelve steps into practice to get over the mm. the stuff that does come up. Um, but for me to really feel a part of AA is to be able to give back, mm. and that is. Um, whether it's you know my home group, I'm the treasurer, mm-hmm. so I bank the money and you know, pay the bills. Um, you know, just being a real part of it instead yep. of just on the fringes. And and I think that that for me and my sobriety has been really important. Mm. Um, if I'd stayed on the fringes for too long, um, I, I might have decided that I didn't need to mm, mm. keep going but actually I do need it on mm. a daily basis. And so I guess 13 years later, how would you describe your life today? Uh, <laughs> completely different. Mm. I am who I used to hate. Right. A non-drinker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you'd asked me 14 years ago <laughs> what I thought of mm. non-drinkers, you'd, you'd mm. have, you'd, I'd have told you. Mm. Um, yeah, life today is amazing. I... Um, it's not, it's not perfect. Mm. Um, you know that trouble I was talking about getting into in those last ten years. Uh, a couple of years into sobriety, we actually lost our business. Mm-hmm. We lost everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, from a financial point of view, our, my life is you know not very good. Um, 
but that's okay. Mm. Um, the freedom it, from the fear. Yeah, it, it's okay. And we, we got through that losing the business one day at a time by mm-hmm. putting the steps into practice sure. and, and being able to cope. I think that, you know, today um, uh, I've learnt the joy of helping other people. You know, before I came into these rooms, life was really just all about me. Yeah. Um, I didn't really care that I was drinking the family money because mm. I needed the drink. Mm. Um, whereas today I've had the great good fortune of being able to help other people who've come into the rooms mm-hmm. and help them through the steps and to see them change. And that's helped you. Yeah. It, it's a, it's an amazing, amazing thing to be able to do. And Ross, we, we talk about AA being a spiritual program, not a religious program. What does that, what does that mean to you? Um, to me, the... I guess the, to me the difference between those two things is that a religious program has a strict set of beliefs and some rules around those things. And you know, if it's a church organisation, you're either in or you're out. Mm. Um, with a spiritual program, it's a lot broader than that. And spiritual things I see as things that are really important to us that have got names, but we can't touch them. You know, in, in the broader sense, say, good and evil or love and hate, um, that they are, they're real, but you can't touch them. Mm. And so this being a spiritual journey, I'm looking to to move my life towards one end of that spectrum, if you like. that. There's that concept of yin and yang, that mm. there's, um, mm-hmm. you know, there is good and evil, there's love and hate, Um but trying to trying to have a balance, um, and and move slowly towards mm. the better side of that this, of spiritual understanding. That that's my take on it. And and so we talk about a higher power mm-hmm. inside um, the program within the program. And so what is that? How has that changed, or or what was your journey with that? as you came into AA and now, 13 years later? Um, I, I grew up in a very Christian family, mm-hmm. so I had the concept of God, and you know, I, I grew up with that as an innate thing. The, the wonderful thing about AA is that it, the, the program, it really requires you to find a power greater than mm. yourself. If if your problem is that you're powerless over alcohol, mm. then the answer is simple. Mm-hmm. You need more power. <laughs> and so um, the concept of requiring a God is, is simple once you realise that you're powerless mm. over something. You need more power. Um, but the good thing in AA is that it allows you to choose your own higher power. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, I I didn't want the same God that my parents had. Mm. Um, I've taken bits of that mm. because that's my experience. Um, but I've been able to find, yeah. In, in AA, you're given the freedom to find your own higher power. You're not nothing's dictated to in that area, and I I find that really, you know, it means that new guys coming in, it's it's easy for them mm. um, because they don't have to use some 
form of God that they might not like. Absolutely. Uh, Ross, what would you recommend for anyone who thinks, you know, who's listening, who thinks they may have a drinking problem? What could they ask themselves to help them decide? I, I guess there's, there's a couple of things. One, one is looking at that physical side that we, we, uh, we mm-hmm. have, and that is when you have a drink, do you just have a drink? Mm. You know, when do you stop? Can you stop when you have a drink? And the other thing is to look at, at what, who it's affecting, not yep. just you, but the people around you. Yep. Um, and be honest about that. Mm. Um, and and if when you, I think our book says, if you, when you honestly look at it, you, when you have a drink, you can't stop. Yep. Or if you're forced to stop after your fourth one, you know, uh, are you really grumpy? Yeah. <laughs> Does it affect you mentally? Are you starting to think about it? Then, then perhaps you've got a problem. And, you know, AA, um, as I said in the preamble, there are no dues or fees for AA membership. It's Mm -hmm. not going to cost you anything to to come along to a meeting and try us out. Absolutely. Well, Ross, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. It's been great. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at aa.org.nz or, as Ross mentioned, call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm and again on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We'll now close the show with the serenity prayer, as we do in every AA meeting. God, God, grant me me the serenity serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9.